While at Texas Tech, uh, former head coach Mike Leach had a difficult conversation with one of his players, a quarterback that he wanted to uh, let know that he wasn't getting any playing time. He wasn't going to be playing anymore. In fact, he wasn't really going to be part much part of the team. And he asked him, he said, hey, listen, would you mind coming back or staying along as a, <clears throat> a graduate assistant? You know, as a as an assistant to kind of learn how to coach a little bit, and the guy just walked out of the room. He ended up deciding, "Hey, I'm I'm done. I'm done with college football." The guy decided to come back the next day. His name was Lincoln Riley. Now, if you think about the impact that Mike Leach had on you know college football, from whether it was Texas Tech, whether it was Washington State, whether it's where he, he ended up finishing his career at Mississippi State, is a coach that's certainly going to be missed. Rest in peace, Coach Leach. Carlos Correa ends up signing with the San Francisco Giants. And I'm trying to think about different angles that I want to take on this because uh, there was rumors and you know people like Ken Rosenthal were reporting that the Mets were talking to Scott Boris about Carlos Correa. You know, the Yankees at some point had some dialogue. I don't think it really went anywhere. But what happened is a lot of the fakes, the the people that want to be known for something, that want to report something before it happens and basically take a bunch of shit and just throw it at the wall, hoping that something happens so they could try to take some quote-unquote credit. <laughs> you know, they, they, were out, they were out in the, uh, in the dozens the other night and it's hard when you're you're really trying to get a pulse of what's going on and you have so many people that are just obsessed with wanting to wanting to break into business but just aren't trying to break into business the right way you know you should if you're really serious about it you should have a twitter account with your own name on it and you should go through the proper channels you should shadow some of the better reporters and and sports and baseball insiders that do the things they do and I'm not going to sit here, I don't have time to sit here and, and give you a, a soliloquy or a, or a lecture on how you can conduct your business. But there really should be some penalty out there for people that are purposely putting out false information or just information that's a guess. Hey, how about if you're wrong, you got to pay some kind of fine. How about if you're wrong, put you in jail for a day or so. Maybe you'll learn your lesson. Maybe it won't feel like... You know, social media is the place where you could just make up a bunch of shit and hope that it sticks to the wall. And if it does, then all of a sudden you become famous when, you know, for a second until it's realized that you never came up with the information in the first place. So I, I believe that Scott Boris did a very good job. And actually, he's had a very good offseason. You know, for a guy that takes a lot of heat because he's the, you know, pretty much the Jerry Maguire of sports agents. There's really nobody that earns more for his players. There's really nobody that does a better job with all the different tentacles that exist when it comes to uh, representing a player and getting a player their next contract. Uh, in some cases, using teams against each other. And Boris really has used all those tactics this offseason. 
to assure that the players that he has represented are getting paid. You know, if you think about it, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. You know, from Brandon Nimmo getting $160 million, Correa obviously getting $350 million. Every single one of his players have have gotten paid. And he has used, certainly, the teams that are interested against each other. And I'm pretty sure that he's going to do the same thing when it comes to Carlos Rodon, which I think is going to be interesting because you're looking at two teams that really have the money to make a move. And we're going to start out with Correa going to the Giants because there's a reason that the Giants were able to splurge on Carlos Correa. And it was because uh, they had kind of set themselves up a spot for a big-time contract this offseason. Now, I'm still convinced that their primary target was Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge, of course, re-signing with the Yankees. You know, good for him. Good for the Yankees and good for baseball. You know, I I think the Yankees really needed to sign their franchise player. And the Giants and we hear the Padres were, were, were very much in it. Now, the Padres, before I get to the Giants, were in it for Trey Turner. They ended up losing out to the Phillies. They were in it for Aaron Judge. They ended up losing to the Yankees. And then they end up going all in for Xander Bogarts, and that's when they got their guy. The Giants, some people didn't believe they were as serious because they haven't given out a contract like this before. They were supposedly in up until the end on Aaron Judge, and they ended up not getting him. Well, they were they were ready to make that type of investment, and that's why they had $350 million to give to Carlos Correa. So good for them. Good for the NL West. Good for baseball. Because I've said all along that I believe in you know baseball having some sort of even playing field. It's not going to ever be as fair as it is in the NFL. You know, I've said before, anybody in the NFL can go out there and have a big season. You know, the teams, basically with the salary cap and free agency, the way it's set up, everybody has the same resources because the TV money is spread throughout the league. Baseball, it's not. You, know, you heard me yesterday bitch about the Oakland Athletics, and there's only so much I could take with them. Hey, let's, let's be serious. The Athletics and their lack of interest in fielding a competitive baseball team, yes, they They'll bring some good players up. They'll play them. They'll try to get a couple fans in the seats. But they've, they've, for the last couple decades, have put a collective FU to their fans. And it's not fair to be regionally stuck in a place like Oakland that has so much history that goes back to the days of the Philadelphia Athletics, the first dynasty that existed in baseball history, winning World Series in 1905, in 1910, 11, and 13, and then again in 29 and 30. By the time they won their fifth World Series championship, they were tied with the Boston Red Sox for the most World Series at that time. That was before the dominance of the Yankees. And then to go to Kansas City and be basically as abused as they were, when they were technically owned by the New York Yankees. Arnold Johnson and his uh, his biasness towards the Yankees. He owned Yankee Stadium. He used the Kansas City Athletics as a farm club. And it wasn't until Charlie Finley bought the, the team towards the end of its time in Kansas City and moved them to Oakland and gave them green and yellow uniforms and all of a sudden started developing talent. 
won three straight World Series from 72 to 74. And then, of course, with Sandy Alderson and Tony La Russa and the Bash Brothers and Dave Stewart winning a World Series in 1989, this was a once-proud franchise. And I didn't mean to talk a lot about the athletics because I brought them up yesterday, but this is a point that I missed. And I'm, I'm a little, I'm, it's infuriating me the most because you're looking at a once proud baseball franchise that is treating its fans like shit right now because the owner doesn't understand that he has an obligation to pay players to play baseball. That's one of the top five jobs that you have as a major league baseball owner. And he should get the hell out. But as it applies to Boris, and you know, you think about the A's owner, I'm not even going to mention his name. I'm so disgusted with him that you know he'll never have a conversation with Scott Boris because Scott Boris is about getting his players paid and selling the dream of winning a World Series championship. Which, uh, listen, I think you can find a spot in the Hall of Fame for Scott Boris. I mean, first of all, you got to get Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Pete Rose and Joe Jackson in there. Start with that. And then we could talk about having a real Hall of Fame. But my real Hall of Fame has somebody that is a pioneer in baseball that has done, I believe, as much as Marvin Miller did for the Baseball Players and the Players Association. And that's Scott Boris. And to get myself to the point that I was originally looking to make, you got the Yankees, who got Judge. You got the Padres, who ended up getting Bogarts. Phillies got Turner. And, you know, the Giants had their money. They got themselves Carlos Correa. And that leaves Carlos Radon with a couple different choices. And he could go with his gut saying, hey, I want to be a Yankee. But you got to understand in this situation what's different than 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago when it comes to being a New York Yankee. You got to take a discount to be a Yankee. And Aaron Judge was able to get his average annual value to $40 million a season for nine years. Garrett Cole got the big two, you know, 300 plus million for his contract with the Yankees. They're not going to, they're not going to get another, not going to give another player 200 million. So Carlos Rodon, who is represented by Scott Boris, wants to get paid and then low key wants to be a Yankee. He's basically going to have to pick one or the other. And if he chooses to be a Yankee over the money, Yankee fans are going to adore him. Radon Yankee jerseys are going to sell ridiculously. Hopefully, they don't have the stupid name on the back. Every Yankee fan that wears a jersey with a name on the back is not a true Yankee fan because you understand that Yankees don't wear the names on the back of their jerseys. So if you buy a jersey and it has a, a Yankee name on the back of it, you're not a real Yankee fan because you don't understand how they make their jerseys. Now, if you want to wear a spring training jersey, they have names on the back. That could be your loophole. And actually, that would be an intelligent comeback to say, well, they wear names on the back in spring training, and this is a spring training jersey. Outside of that, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're not a true Yankee fan. I digress. If Rodon wants to be a true Yankee, he's going to have to take what's weird and you've, I thought I'd never be saying this, a Yankee discount, a Yankee pay cut. I think the Minnesota Twins were that other team. As I was kind of telling you about teams that put a certain amount of payroll on the side and said, hey, we're going to be able to go for a big player. I told you Philadelphia did it. The Yankees did it. The Padres did it. The Giants did it. And I think the Minnesota Twins did it too. The Minnesota Twins were very serious about retaining Carlos Correa. 
and they signed him to a three-year, hundred over a hundred million dollar contract last off season, and gave him an opt out after the first season, understanding that he probably exercised it. And guess what? You know, he got a thirteen-year contract. He's getting paid three hundred fifty million dollars. The Twins likely weren't going to touch that, but the Twins were expecting to spend a significant amount of money this offseason. They were putting aside money to pay a player a big-time salary, and they were willing to do that. So I think that they're certainly in it for Radon, and if I'm the Yankees, if I'm a Yankee fan, if I'm one of these fake insiders that's just trying to throw shit to the wall hoping that it sticks, I'd be wary of the Minnesota Twins. And we're really not worried about the Twins that often when it comes to free agency. They've never given out a, a contract bigger than 180-something million they gave Joe Maurer to one time. But they have been preparing for this. They were preparing to sign Carlos Correa. They've looked at Radon as a fallback option. And listen, if they give him a $200 million contract offer for seven years, what do you do if you're Scott Boris? you got to convince your player to take the money. If the Yankees are sitting there with four years at $28 million plus an option, that sounds nice. It's good money. But it's not what the player's worth. And Scott Boris, all offseason, has gotten his players paid. And if he is going to take a step back to it, it's going to take a lot from Carlos Rodon to say, hey, the money is not important. Because there's not a player in the history of free agency that has ever said money is not important. Two things I want to see here. Number one, if the Twins have the best offer and they have considerably the best offer, I want Carlos Rodon and Scott Boris to take the best offer. Number two, if the Yankees really want this pitcher, and I think you add Rodon to a staff that already has Garrett Cole and right behind them Nestor Cortez and Luis Severino and Frankie Montas, that is a heck of a rotation. And that puts the Yankees in the kind of the driver's seat of the division like they were last year. I think it's a move that you should make. Is it one that you have to make? We're going to see. We're going to see how much the Yankees really want Carlos Rodon because they're a low an underwhelming offer is not going to cut it. I was thinking about a couple other free agents, J.D. Martinez and Will Myers. And I think one of them would be a good fit for a team like the New York Mets. You know, They need a right complementary bat. They got guys like Francisco Alvarez and Mark Vientos and Darren Ruff that are probably going to get some ABs against left-hand pitching. But the Mets are in the market for a fourth outfielder. They should probably sign somebody. I think Michael Conforto reunion is, you know, is, is, I'd like to see it, but I don't know how practical it is. You're going to bring him in as a fourth outfielder when Scott Boris is representing him and can probably get him a, a better deal to play every day somewhere else. So I don't know how practical that is. But, you know, if you're looking for somebody that could play a little outfield, Will Myers is not the best defender. J.D. Martinez, from a uh, playing-the-field standpoint, it has, hasn't been able to do it as much, though he did play a little more in the outfield last year for the Red Sox than a non-Red Sox fan would think. So if you look at it and you want to add a little pop, if you want to add somebody that can hit about 20 to 25 home runs, which I believe the Mets need, especially somebody that ain't going to be playing every day and will probably be okay with a little bit of a reduced role, I like the thought of J.D. Martinez and I like the thought of Will Myers with the New York Mets. 
And it's something that I did want to throw out there. And I think it's interesting because I, I find um, different lists fascinating. And I'm going to read off the top 20 home run hitters of all time in the year of 1992. So this is the all-time home run list. We know it would be Henry Aaron, number one, at 755. George Herman Ruth would be 714, number two. Willie Mays would be number three, 660. Frank Robinson, 586, four. Harmon Killebrew, 573, five. Reggie Jackson, 563, six. Michael Jack Schmidt, 548, seven. Mickey Mantle, 536, eight. Jim Fox, Jimmy Fox, 534-9. Ted Williams, 521-10. Tied with Willie McCovey with 521-10. Eddie Matthews, 512-12. Ernie Banks, 512-12. Mel Ott, 511-14. Stan Musial, I'm sorry, actually, Lou Gehrig, 493-15. Stan Musial, 475-16. Willie Stargell, 575-16. Carl Yastrzemski, 542-18. Dave Kingman, 442-19. And 20th all-time in home runs in baseball history in 1992 was Billy Williams with 426. And by the way, right on the outside looking in at 21... Daryl Evans, a non-Hall of Famer with 414 home runs. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two A's, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Just a reminder, you can catch the Past Ball Show on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Music, Amazon Music. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.
what side of the spectrum they're on. Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at they put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.